The Tempest Asarai wanders through the market. His tall form cuts a striking figure, and most of the people walking around him find themselves stepping to the side to let him pass. His eyes scan the crowd as he moves, moving from the faces of passing people to their belts. He notices a commotion at the other end of the market. A small girl wearing dirty rags is being pulled by her hair as she attempts to disappear into the crowd, holding a freshly baked loaf of bread. He steps quickly forward, pulling a small pouch of coins from inside his vest. He fishes out a single coin and grabs the arm of the market vendor. I'm sorry, she's mine. I sent her off to fetch me bread and must have forgotten to give her coin to buy it with. He stares into the face of the man, bright blue eyes not breaking away. You know how children can be, so scared of consequences. He gestures with his hand, and the silver coin he fished out earlier appears between his fingers, glinting slightly as it reflects the sunlight. The merchant's eyebrows unfurrow as he sees the coin, and he moves to take it from Asarai. As the merchant starts to move, Asarai releases his arm and is knocked a step forward as the little girl breaks away and disappears into the crowd. The merchant lets out a chuckle and pockets the coin. Word of advice? Mind your own damn business before you end up poor just like that little rat. Asarai turns and walks away, a small smile spreading across his lips. He makes his way back through the market towards a small building with the picture of a smashed crate burned into a sign hanging above its doorway. He steps inside and slips a small folded piece of paper to the slim man sitting on the stool behind a small counter. The paper disappears without a word, and with a small nod, Asarai turns and steps back into the crowded market streets. He moves through the crowd with confidence, one hand resting on the hilt of the curved sword hanging at his side. Before long, the crowd thins, and he finds himself standing at the edge of town. He takes a deep breath and sets his shoulders, rigidly placing one foot in front of the other as he leaves town. The sun is just setting when he arrives at the top of the cliffs that hide a small bay from the rest of the world. He passes by the bushes that hide the small path down to the ocean front, and smiles the second a large wooden vessel comes into view. He can't help but find her beautiful. Fast and sleek, the damned tide cuts an impressive figure. The crew sits lazily on the deck, a few drinking and bickering as cards are revealed face up on top of a barrel and coins are shifted from one person to the other. None of them look up as Asarai makes his way onto the deck of the ship. Everyone quiets for a moment as he passes them on his way to the stairs that lead below deck. He knocks on the first door he comes to, and a voice calls out to enter. He steps inside, taking in the somewhat barren cabin. Anne had never been one for decorations. She is sitting there, at a small desk in the corner of the cabin, lazily turning the pages of a ledger book, a fanciful silver wine glass held in her hand. I've dropped the supplies off, Captain. No one in town knows we're here, and we should be ready to leave in the next two days. Good. My bones ache every day we aren't out at sea. I'm going to tear the heads off those scum outside if they knock on my door one more time. You'd think pirates wouldn't whine like children.
As the crew falls into their familiar roles of trimming the sails and maintaining their captain's beloved vessel a week into their journey, Asurai thinks to himself how this group of rather unsavory individuals managed to work together, seemingly flawlessly. They were meant to sail a ship, in the same way that he was meant to stand at the side of the ship, gazing out across the open ocean, taking in the salty breeze and feeling the sun on his tanned face. Satisfied that they are alone on the ocean, he turns and steps towards the captain's quarters, and is shocked to find the captain pale and in her bed. Rushing to her bed, the tempest of the seas looks frail and almost unfamiliar to him. The woman who was strong and intimidating enough to gather this group of terrifying and at times bloodthirsty crew of pirates under one banner now laid before him, barely able to keep her wits about her. She looks up at him with an unfamiliar look in her eyes. Fear. She reaches up to take his hand in hers. Rough and calloused, her hand struggles to squeeze his own as she croaks out something under her breath. Asurai leans towards her, ducking his head to catch her words. The tempest must live on. He shakes his head and squeezes her hand. You will. I swear it. Days pass, and the waves grow larger as the sky darkens, and the damned tide finds herself caught in a terrible storm. Her crew, with Asurai at the helm, is forced to give it everything they have to keep the vessel afloat. They struggle for days, bailing water and fighting against the winds that threaten to capsize the ship. The crew sleeps in shifts, falling into restless sleep as soon as they make their way below deck. All but Asurai. He never leaves the deck of the ship. He moves along the boards of the deck with ease, catching the ropes that fly loose and crewmen that lose their feet. He stands at the wheel of the ship, bellowing orders in a deep voice that cuts between the wind and waves. Asurai begins praying to any god that will listen, starting low under his voice as he works with the ropes, pulling them down and tying them quickly. This lasts for a while, but before long, he is shouting at the top of his lungs, cursing the sea and her waves. He bellows madly from the helm of the ship, battling against the storm with the creative curses of a sleep-deprived sailor. On the third day, all seems lost. The crew moves sluggishly through their work, and Asurai drags a few crewmen, trying to skip their shifts from their bunks and hammocks. His eyes are bloodshot and his face a mess of rain and anger as the storm breaks and the ever-present sound of the wind fades. The pouring rain relents, and a few rays of sunlight peek through clouds that seem much lighter than they were only hours before. Most of the crew falls where they stand, exhausted, but not Asurai. He has one thought in his mind, and he rushes to the captain's quarters and slams the door open to find her cold and unmoving in her bed. He falls to his knees, tears filling his eyes and sobs racking his body as he holds her calloused hands, seeing the strength they once held. The captain's last request echoes in his mind, and he steals himself. The sun has shifted when he returns to the deck of the ship, and as he pushes the door open, he sees the whole crew standing on the deck, waiting in silence. None of them had seen their captain at all through the entire storm. A few faces held fury, 
Others were too tired to care at all. All were silent, waiting for him to speak. In that moment of total silence, there was not a single bird song in the sky, not a single whisper among the men, only the lapping waves against the sides of the ship. When he spoke, his voice cut through the silence. Ragged and worn, weary, he stood to his full height. I am the Tempest. I am your captain. These past few days I have fought against the forces of nature and now claim my title as captain of the damned tide. A few mutters spread through the gathered crew. Aserai stares them down, eyes bloodshot. Get to work. I'll not have my ship left in shambles. There's work to be done. As he says this, he hopes that the crew does not see the tears still running down his face. Or perhaps they dismiss them as raindrops. But the rain had stopped hours earlier. Welcome to the first ever episode of I'll Tell You a Tale, a podcast where we work together, we being, I guess let's just go ahead and introduce the host. I'm one part of a two-host duo, Nathan, uh, joining me today, and probably always will be me. I am uh, Alex, the co-host to this podcast. And I guess we should just get started and kind of, this is going to be an interesting, an interesting podcast, one that I don't know if, I don't know if anything like it has kind of been done, but also I wouldn't say we're like pioneering anything super special, but basically we're going to try and, uh, tell a story. Um, and so this part that you guys are listening to right now is going to be us brainstorming kind of what that story is going to be coming up with um, maybe some major plot points figuring out if it what the genre and all those sorts of different things are and then depending on which format we end up going with you may have just listened to the story that we we came up with or you might listen to that after we finish the brainstorming um, so that'll probably be something that we're going to have to figure out over these first couple of episodes. And I feel like we should address the fact that we probably sound pretty similar, and that is because we are brothers. So hopefully when I put these uh, two audio recordings right next to each other, it doesn't sound identical, and there will be some way to tell us apart. But if not, hopefully there's... There's enough distinction that if you listen to us long enough, you'll be able to uh, pick up on the subtle differences. And if worse comes to worse, I could always pick up a bad accent. Yeah, try out some some southern uh, southern twang, or a little bit of a drawl. Mm-hmm. Download some uh, some voice modification software. That's Plan B. All right, well, with all that being said, let's go ahead and jump in. Um, so I think we should start off with a, a character idea and where his story would start. I think a good step 
that would be a good first step. And then we can jump into building a backstory for him. So Nathan, if you wanted to throw out some ideas for a character name. You freaking stuck me with the worst part. I, uh, for those of you who don't know, I've been trying to write a book for uh, maybe like three years or something like that. And the I love it. I love being creative and writing. The worst part of it is trying to come up with a stupid freaking name to uh, uh, go ahead. Um, so I guess maybe we, let's just keep it keep it simple. We could I mean easy easy name Mark with just a C M A R C. M A R C. Yeah, I would have to agree with you there that I I too have tried to write a story before and I started off by naming the character and through certain character developments I almost feel like me naming him so early on ruined it. But for as a placeholder for now, we'll call him Mark and we can always go back and adjust that. Yeah. That might be a recurring segment. All of our characters just start off as Mark's blank slate Mark. And we'll see where the, where the story goes from there. It's kind of a generic John or Jane Doe, but not as morbid and related to corpses. So, <laughs> Yeah, hopefully, hopefully they don't change that because that would be slightly awkward. But for now, we'll stick with Mark, the, uh, the protagonist of this the first short story, and I, I suppose we should get this out of the way. Um, we're going to keep doing this, and we're going to keep trying to tell different stories every, however often we end up actually recording and writing and putting and publishing this podcast, depending on how good we are and how uh, how we get over a little bit of this, this uh, little nervous jitters that I have. Um, so... We'll introduce Mark here and explore him a little bit, but then next week or two weeks from now when we do another one, it will be someone new. And maybe maybe down the line we can revisit Mark 1.0, but uh, for now, I think short stories um, that have somewhat of a, maybe not an, an ending right now, but uh, a good point for leaving off. So should we jump in and give a little bit of a character description, uh, physical details, and the whatnot? Yeah, I feel like that's a pretty good place to... Gotta start somewhere. And if we're starting with a character, gotta figure out what he looks like. Um, just the, the name Mark is just giving me, like, av complete average 5'10", short, black hair, nondescript face. Um, but... That's probably not quite so interesting, so there there could be I, some ways to mix it up. I think that every good story always needs a tall, dark, and handsome, mysterious figure, so we could start off somewhere with there, so range in at a, a six nice foot. Even seven feet tall. Seven feet tall. <laughs> not that quite that tall, maybe. <laughs> We need yeah, someone that's going to grab attention, not be at a circus for an abnormal height. Or star basketball player. Yeah, I think I think just an even six foot, maybe maybe six one. If we're if we're really feeling uh, crazy, 
Let's go for six foot um, one six, then. <laughs> six foot one, uh, male. Although I guess, uh, I, I guess it, that's something else we we should say. I feel like if we're going to be jumping around genres and different, um, different types of stories and narratives, I feel like at some point we're probably going to write for a female protagonist. And I want to make sure that if we do that, then we do it properly. Cause I feel like while male and female people are very similar, there's also some slight differences, but maybe we'll have, uh, market or something like that if we decide to write um down the line but for now mark six one um i i i guess a lot of the appearance um could be decided by a general time frame or setting uh to uh i feel like a, a lot of those features um depend on the setting if we're uh building out what the character is going to be living in that will heavily influence the um how he looks and i i feel like too we shouldn't uh overly describe this character because as an avid reader and a listener to audio audible books um i personally thoroughly enjoy being able to create a character in my mind to what I deem that character should and would look like. So kind of while we go into describing this character, if we leave everything in the vague and it's, it's like they say the, the parts not seen are what makes it more attractive. Yeah. And I, I totally understand there's a, um, I, I just recently listened to um, Patrick Rothfuss. If any of you listening don't know who Patrick Rothfuss is, he uh, is an author. And uh, I was listening to him talk at a panel, and I forget exactly. It's it's some style of writing um, where th- that's the goal is to leave it um, up to the um, up to the audience to imagine. He was talking about uh, one of his characters that he has. He's like uh, I, I believe her name is. Uh, Thella, I might be, I might be misremembering that. It's been a while, um, but uh, he uh, he was at the panel and he asked like, "What do you guys, uh, what do you guys know about Thella?" Or I, I, that must, I can't remember exactly what her name is. But he says, "What do you remember about how she looks like?" And I think like the only um, <laughs> the only descriptions he said was that she was beautiful and full breasted. So beautiful can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And so in, in a way, I guess tall, dark and mysterious, um, could also do that. Could also be interpreted in many different ways is what I'm trying to say. So we should start off with describing him. We could say he has dark hair. His skin has been darkened from spending an innumerable amount of time in the sun. His eyes are intense and they captivate the lookers. And we could leave it at something like that. Something that that paints a picture in your mind. Mm -hmm. 
that you are the one who determines what Mark looks like. Yeah, I think I think that's probably good. And maybe maybe that that might be a recurring um, theme in developing characters is three three just immediate quick things that you might pick out a little bit and then um hopefully that builds enough of a base to um allow that audience imagination to fill in the rest is it i think it's called active writing where you are or act i, I can't remember exactly what it is but ha having an active audience um makes it a lot easier for the audience to be able to uh participate in the story a little bit more, I guess. And so with that tall, dark hair, darkened, tanned skin from long amounts of uh, time in the sun and very intense, captivating eyes, I guess we should jump into what he is doing um, when, we, when we start off this story, um, what's going on in his life and where we pick up on and kind of um, his his motivations, I guess, or I guess that's probably even um, a little bit too much for this sort of short form narrative that we're trying to tell. Yeah, I feel like um, his motivations would need a more in depth um, story as to what's going on, but the the here and the now and what he's doing would be a good place to start. Mm. And we have uh, uh, maybe more in the future. This might be something that we kind of build in this creative space here on actual recorded air, if that's what it's called. Um, but we were kicking around a couple of ideas just before we started recording. And I think uh, uh, maybe, maybe hinted to by the darkened skin from a lot of time outside, we're kicking around the idea of a, a sailor or a pirate um, and maybe that is what the story is about, is a sailor who is put in a situation where um, piracy seems like the only solution to a problem, and uh, him going on, him having to make that decision to either survive and become a pirate, who, being a sailor, uh... I'm assuming this might it, it might be um, maybe set in like a more medieval sense, but um, I think I, I don't have any real experience as a sailor, but I can imagine their enmity for uh, pirates, and uh, maybe that might be a difficult line for um, people to cross, becoming what you so dislike and hate and fear, I guess. Yeah, that's a that's something kind of along the lines of what I was thinking. I was thinking that he could be the uh, larger sailor background who's sort of not necessarily forced into a life of piracy, but it is what he has accidentally or perhaps he was forced into becoming this pirate and on this ship. He is the voice of reason being he is a sailor and a good person at heart. And he has to deal with all these scallywags 
in his day-to-day life and they're kind of rough and tumble, uh, do whatever you need to do to make to your next looting or your next meal or your next brothel. And uh, he's mayhaps from a simpler fishing background where that doesn't matter so much and the right and wrong is more important than the end goal. Yeah, I think that that is an interesting dynamic, but um, just story-wise, I feel like he would need to be, um, I guess maybe not, but um, to finish the thought, someone in a um, a position of power, in a sense, like maybe not necessarily the captain of a ship or something like that, but uh, the first mate he knows the captain or in some way is valuable so his um while he is outnumbered by a number of uh pirates and scallywags that uh he's not just um overwhelmed and drowned out yeah he may be the only voice of reason but his voice may ring a little louder being the second mate or something along that line not necessarily the leader of this group of scallywags, but a very influential voice in the ear of the leader. Mm-hmm. And something that just popped in my head, we're talking about um, with a shorter form story, focusing around some sort of inciting event. And maybe that is the um, the moment where he has to fully commit to becoming a pirate. But also if he's in that um in that position of uh, somewhat power being the second mate and his um, captain gets sick and while he's sick uh, he's kind of locked away in his uh, in his captain's quarters or whatever and eventually um, passes away and uh, he uh, he suddenly finds himself um, as the captain's getting sick and sick he he finds himself interacting with the crew more and being an in, like a true interface for the the captain's commands and all that and now trying to figure out a way to um he's, he's no longer receiving those orders and now having to give those orders of his own um volition might be a little um interesting an idea to kick around yeah, I, I agree with that as someone who is not necessarily used to being where the orders originate from, but being the person who is giving the orders on the command of the captain. And now he is forced to not only give the orders, but to make them as well. And yeah, that, that would definitely be a, a very good dynamic. So now that we kind of have uh, a vague overview of what our protagonist would be encountering during this story, should we go ahead and uh, start fleshing it out and say make make this story a real, real deal? I think so, yeah. Um, and unfortunately... By making him a pirate and putting him on a ship, we just gave ourselves another thing to name because all good ships, and especially pirate ships, need need, uh, ship names. 
Um, and I might even just need to Google a, a pirate name generator and just come up with a bunch of names for the crew. Um, although maybe not a good idea to just throw a bunch of names out for a uh, short story. Keep it, keep it somewhat small. Maybe like a uh, Mark and then a name for the captain and maybe two or three crew members who are sort of a a uh, representative um, group for the rest of the crew. Um, yeah, I think that that is... Uh, you don't want to name everyone, but maybe name the people that are close to him and the people that he frequently encounters, such as the captain and uh, maybe two or three other people. Yeah, and definitely, I, definitely the ship. But like I said before, that's the that's the worst part. And I guess maybe we maybe we uh, maybe we pull up a pirate name generator, or we could probably come up with some names um, if we if we sort of pick a um, kind of. How does the the damned tide sound for a ship name? I like it. The damned tide. Uh, feels original. It could, it could, uh, it could definitely hint towards this not being the first ship that this particular captain has been the captain for, but the damned tide took her last love of the however a pirate refers to their ship. Yeah, and it was sort of like an inherited... Um, there, there, there could be a million uh, little stories for how the, the ship got its name, and maybe that's something that we re revisit if we ever are in need of more ideas, but I think, I think that's a good The Damned Tide... Um, and I'm trying to think of names for the captain, and I can only think of colors and followed by beard. Uh, just... Well, let's make the a uh, bit of an interesting dynamic. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the books, The Cycle of Iran, but I am a absolute fan of those books. And in those books, there is a very powerful character. Um, and she is a captain of a boat. And I think an interesting dynamic would be to have a female captain be the leader of this band of pirates. I think, I think that is definitely interesting and totally would help me not want to name the uh, pirate captain Orangebeard or something along those lines. And... Now I'm just going to stare off into center space and try so desperately hard to uh, think of a name. And I feel like um, it, as a female in this certain time period that we're studying the story, females don't necessarily have as much power intimidation in medieval times as they do today. So most of the time pirates make their names. And so I feel like she would make her name something that would be 
slightly more intimidating and feared. So when people are hearing her name and she's gaining notoriety, that it is something that strikes fear into the hearts of the people who hear it so that they don't fuck around with her damned tide. Yeah, something not Priscilla. I feel like Priscilla is not, is not a, a name that strikes fear. Um, but but definitely a good so so maybe not even a name maybe maybe more of like a title that she has assumed like a uh uh i, I forget what i'm blanking but i know some authors like have a a fake name that they use and probably some pirates as well um and maybe even something that uh going back to uh the Princess Bride, a sort of dread pirate Roberts, um, some some early pirate or something that she encountered and um, ended up being either like having to kill or do something, and she kind of took up that name as a sign of respect, um, and also just it sounded cool. <laughs> And now, as I'm trying to think of female pirate names, I'm just drawn to the only uh, the only female pirate captain that springs to mind because I'm currently uh, a, and I think we both are very much so fans of Critical Role. And right now, they uh, spoilers, um, not really spoilers, but there's a female pirate captain, uh, Captain Avantika. And uh, I just can't get that name out of my head, but definitely don't want to just take a name from something else. I think um, trying to get away from that um, mindset. And I'm currently just pulled up some uh, a Google, and uh, I pu- I pulled up a Google. I pulled I googled some female pirate names, um, and. Uh, coming up with all those articles nine female pirate names you should know about um so maybe not as uncommon as um probably still fairly uncommon but not a uh um not a uh not as uncommon as one in a million So I feel like she, her first name should be Anne, A-N-N-E, and that should be her given name. And that will be the name that she kind of sticks with. Um, And then she'll add a title to it. So maybe this could be a um, nefarious thing that she did or something that she's known for. Or even um, tying in with the damned tide, maybe something like and the Tempest or um, some sort of uh, destructive force in nature or something like that as that sort of... I, um, I really like that, that uh, and the Tempest... And the Tempest, Captain of the Damned Tide. That does sound pretty cool. Make sure 
I'm going to write that down. I've been taking a few notes just so when we go back and uh, try and write this, have everything uh, available and the Tempest. Orderly and the same as what we said, so we're not false advertising our story. Yeah. Um, and now on to Mark. Oh, Mark. And I'll probably edit some of this out, but just rest assured if you're listening, coming up with these names, there's probably going to be a little bit of silence as we both just kind of gear spin, trying desperately to come up with a name. I don't know if your gears are spinning, but mine are definitely just kind of sitting here vapor locking and grinding in my head. I am a horrible name uh, comer upper with. And full disclosure, just Googled and looked on about 12 different websites for name generators and the such and came up with absolutely nothing that struck a match in my head and just threw out the name. And Anne seems like a a terrifying name to me, so way better than Mark. We will not have to have an Anne (laughs) 2.0. <laughs> and who and is the uh the only character name we will we will never ever use ever again um she's uh fearsome and uh deserves her title there is a a strategy that i used is i would go to um google translate and uh just randomly pick a language and then type some words in to uh, um, kind of get just a base word that I can uh, chop up. So, um, for instance, I I was I was trying to come up with a name for a sea, and I just put like I think it was maybe sea or ocean, and I have no idea what language I translated into, but I it, it came up with like marine or something like that. So totally just boom right there, marine sea. And so maybe that's something that we just um, put uh, tall, dark, and mysterious into Google Translate and see uh, um, what languages uh, that uh, that comes out as. I'll go ahead and do that while you're uh, grinding out this next part. Oh, uh, just in case anyone was curious, mystery in Catalan uh is mystery but they just use um eyes wherever there is a y so um maybe not but uh yeah as you're as you're kind of searching for those names i think that is a we have a, a very solid setting um taking place on the damned tide and maybe this story just takes place on the damned tide they're they're at the ocean they're out on the ocean and that's where um and the tempest Maybe in a, uh, maybe gets just some sick or scurvy. I'm not entirely sure how scurvy works. I just know you're supposed to eat a lot of oranges while you're sailing to uh, combat that uh, sickness. But she falls, uh, and I guess we don't even have to be super specific. She just falls ill. Um, And when you're out on a boat made of wood with not a whole lot of medicine or anything, um, just fevers in general can be very uh dangerous um 
depending on diet and all that, but that's probably not something we want to super dive into. So, uh, and the Tempest has, has fallen ill and her, her first mate, Mark, who, uh, we probably might not even mention this in the story or maybe touch on it briefly, figuring out how he came to be, um, a part of her crew and, and gain trust enough to, um, to become the first mate and maybe that's that's something a a pirate captain needs is a first mate who is not bloodthirsty and and eager to jump at any any um easy prey on the sea because that is probably something that uh a lot of pirates fall prey to um ambushes and stuff like that jumping on a a ship that appears to be limping and uh, it turns out to actually be an ambush shut out to catch uh said pirates so um i feel like i feel like that's that a good point easy. if if i was a captain of a ship i would not necessarily want a rather bloodthirsty or power hungry first mate or second mate uh coming up on a an interesting uh word maybe we can kick around and uh, mold into something uh, mystery and I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce this language and if anyone out there speaks this language um, I hope I don't offend you but it is H-A-U-S-A Hausa Hausa but the word for that is uh, A-S-I-R-I Asari maybe maybe that is an interesting Asari Asari the first mate or maybe something like Astrid, but without the T at Acerid. Any thoughts or opinions on on, on those uh, strings of consonants and vowels? Um. So you're saying, can you spell that out for me? Um. The direct translation is A S I R I. And now that I'm looking at it, I can't just help but see A Siri. Um. Oh. Siri just uh, tried to uh, talk to me. Um, she is always listening, always and forever. But maybe, maybe change that some way to A S A R A Y, A S A R I, A S A R I, something like that. Or maybe just well, take out the uh, A and Sarai. A S E A R I. Last name F O S A. Okay, uh, I like the spelling. How do how are you gonna say it? Aseari Aseari Fosa. Aseari Fosa. I don't know if that's too much of a tongue twister. Uh, I feel like I feel like if I just say it enough, cause uh, keep keep in mind we're gonna have to. Uh, and maybe maybe someday down the line we'll have a website where we post the actual words to the story. But for now, it's just going to be sort of an, an audio uh, listening. So the spelling isn't super important so much as the pronunciation. Acerai. But I feel like I feel like having it written down and just saying it over and over again, um, <laughs> off air, not to drive anyone crazy. Um, that could definitely Who wants work. to listen to a podcast of me say a made-up word 10,000 times? Yeah, uh, that, that'll be the ne- 
tune in next time to catch us uh, just hitting our heads against the walls and saying all of these uh, consonant vowel, consonant vowel sounds. This is how all good Dr. Seuss books were written. We've discovered the secret. Okay, new plan. Let's stop the podcast and let's uh, start writing. Um, well, we can't. We can't have the name Doctor Seuss, but Senior uh, or Senior Deuce. That, that, <laughs> that'll be our moniker. Okay, so all right. Well, this is what happens when we try and name people. We get off on a tangent. We make up words that are not real. We butcher languages that are not our given tongue, and then we talk about Dr. Seuss. So <laughs> we'll focus back in. And if you're listening to this and it didn't seem like we just lost our minds, uh, just keep in mind that I might have edited <laughs> a few uh, tangents out. Although that's what podcasts are all about, right? We're just kind of stream of consciousness. And especially the first one. We're going on no format. We are going on no goal. We're just rambling, creating a story. And that's what this is all about. Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, we've had quite a few conversations and I think the consensus is just, let's just shotgun it out there. And, uh, third time's the charm because the second time we'll we'll probably be a little bit more focused in but three pays for all pays for all all right so now we have uh our most difficult tasks out of the way we have our three let's say three main characters because the boat is a character um we have the damned tide we have and the Tempest, the captain of the damn tide, and we have Asari, Asari, Asari Fosa, who is our protagonist. He is, Mark is no more. Until next Asari, episode. Asari Fosa is the, and I'm not particularly familiar with the rankings of a seafaring vessel but would first do a mate off, sound uh, right yeah I, I think first mate um or quartermaster we can do a little bit of um research off air and uh throw that in there as well as coming up with a few names for some of the pirate crew so we're not um falling down that rabbit hole over and over again um but yeah, either first mate quartermaster um some, something along those lines. All right. So let's go ahead and uh, we'll say jump in at the beginning of our short story. Um, we can say that to get a sense of Asurai's character, they are docked. And they have made land, and he is in town at the market. He could be searching around for supplies to gather for their next voyage, and kind of 
not saying that he is a good person, but he bumps into a child as he is going about his duties and knocks him down and then very gingerly and um, lovingly, even though he doesn't know this child, helps them to this to their feet, dusts the dust off of their um, backside, and then sends them on their way with perhaps a piece of fresh fruit that he just bought from one of the stands. I think something like that so, could be pretty interesting. I feel like, um, especially if this is the beginning of the story, we could play around with the idea that um, we don't even say that he's a pirate. And so we don't, we don't even have to delve into, oh, he's a pirate, but look, he's a good, he's a good guy. He just um, gave a kid a piece of fruit. We just have him have normal interactions, and then he returns back to the, oh, excuse me, he um, returns back to the damn tide, and you realize there's kind of that uh, epiphany moment of, oh, he's not just some, like, sailor or something that's come around, like, uh, he's he's the chosen representative to go on shore and buy uh, um, supplies because everyone else is uh, uh, bloodthirsty and maybe uh, not not very charismatic. Yeah, and I think that would be something along the lines of what we were talking about earlier with describing a character, but not really describing them and leaving it up to the to the reader to determine. So we portray him. We don't say, this is Asurai. He's a really good guy. He loves kids, dogs, you know, like a dating website profile. Mm. What, what we kind of portray is that he's the gentle, uh, caring figure who, when he accidentally knocks a kid onto their, their backside, then he helps them up and then sends them on their way with a little piece of fruit and an apology. Um, and then we could go into not necessarily telling about how he came to be a pirate since he is so kind-hearted, but we could say that he is going back to the ship, returning with love and dread, love for that of the sea because he is a born sailor, and dread for the fact that he is amongst a group of pirates and people whom he deems to be unsavory and not his ideal situation. So kind of, I don't know what you would call foreshadowing in reverse, but portraying this picture and telling a story that is we don't necessarily have to tell why or how he ended up on this pirate ship, but you kind of let the reader know that it's not by his choice or it's not his go-to. If he had a say in it, this wouldn't be what he would be doing, but it is in less words. Yeah. And that, that kind of plays into that kind of that mystery that makes, that makes any character captivating and, um, interesting as a thought experiment more and more than anything else is that um and also i think i think that is a very good way to um write stories there's there's the an idea um when you are 
specifically talking about world building is kind of um, showing the um, the just the tip of the iceberg um, because uh, how icebergs are there's a very uh, more than 50% of the iceberg is underwater and floating um, and only that little bit is um, floating above water able to be seen and so that's that's what makes it so interesting is you build enough of the tip of the iceberg so you you can plausibly believe that there is something underneath it, but we don't even necessarily have to expose that or even have that. Um, that can be something that can be different for everybody. Um, uh, and if, if, if they really like the, the character Asurai, I'm just going to have to say that a whole bunch, um, he, uh, th maybe, they can, maybe they can think a little bit about what exactly was going on and hopefully if he's if he's written well enough he will appear to have a backstory and um have a a plausible kind of uh guess or multiple guesses at what exactly was going on in his life and especially with a a short story for the sake of brevity you definitely want to be the iceberg you want to insinuate at things that the reader is going to be able to add in on their own and i know that uh edgar Allan poe with his short poems he he has this ability to make you see the bigger picture with the smaller words yeah definitely i think that is something that is so important um with short stories and uh i'm i'm just thinking of short stories there's a um going back to we're probably going to be mentioning a bunch of we, we both love stories we both grew up reading a whole bunch um and continue to read and listen to audiobooks and stuff but there is a um and i'm totally blanking on what the name for the actual thing is a group of short stories um it's gonna pop into my head after i uh after we stop recording and I'm just going to edit in right here. And if I didn't, then sorry, but, um, it's a, a collection of short stories and, um, a bunch of people collaborated, um, anthology. That's the word I'm not going to edit in before it's anthology. There's an anthology and Patrick Rothfuss contributed a story to it. And he had a, his, his short story was about Bast, one of his characters. If you're unfamiliar with his, um, works, uh, just a very interesting character that not a lot of is known about. Um, and the short story doesn't even dive into any of that. It just kind of continues to build upon that character. And he acts in such a way that... Um, he acts in such a way that you can believably... It is... Um, uh, there's no loss of continuity. He acts like Bastwood. And how however his life has progressed up until this point has formatted him to act and i just dove down that rabbit hole so hard trying to think about anthology i have no idea what we were talking about just a couple minutes ago so we were at the beginning of the story um we had established that he is the kind of person that would uh lend a helping hand towards children which you know insinuates a lot of other things and as he returns back to his ship uh with the writ 
that the captain has given him and the supplies requested. And he has this dread and longing for the return out to sea, the dread for the shared time with his companions on board and the longing for just the open sea. Yeah. And I think, I think that is uh, a very, just that alone, if we can keep that in mind for every, everything that we're trying to make him say or do, um, really keep in mind that there is something in as long as we're, we're, um, as long as we're not painting part of the iceberg yellow, it should, it should all make sense. Um, yeah. And that, and that falls in line with maintaining the continuity of it, as you said. But I think, I think that is a pretty good, um, a brainstorming session for this story. So we've kind of established some main characters for this story. We've kind of established the beginning and sort of the um, inciting event, um, the death of um, Captain and the Tempest. And maybe maybe that's where we maybe that's where we leave it for today. Or may, we could probably keep going. Um, I'm looking and. Uh, for those of you curious, depending on if this has been edited at all, we've been recording for coming up on 50 minutes right now. Um, so maybe that's where we kind of, or we, we can maybe flesh out some more stuff or, or kind of leave it there. And then um, as you guys are, are listening to this either before or after, depending on the format again, um, you can you can go back and listen to it again and see if, See if we are able to do what we set out to do um, effectively. And and I feel like now would be a good place to end it. Um, we have established the protagonist and the kind of the general outline of what's going to be occurring to him and around him. Um, we have established let's say the setting, which is going to be the damn tide, which is their boat. Mm -hmm. Um, And for anyone listening, feel free before our next episode to contribute any ideas that would be something that that would happen in this story. And we can always take it into consideration. And I feel like in our next episode, we can begin to generate the story uh, now that we have a direction to run in and we're not stumbling over name building. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll come to next, uh, next episode with a list of names. And uh, that is a, a, a good point we should plug. Uh, we have a Twitter account. Um, I believe it is at... Uh, I-T-Y-A tail. Um, you can follow us there. I will be tweeting, um, telling you guys to check out um, this first episode, and I'll tweet um, some updates uh, on just when we're going to be posting things like that. And also, if you don't have Twitter and you don't want to uh, be a tweeting person, you can also email us at uh, I-Y-A-T Oh, nope, sorry, that's wrong. I, Y, I, I'll, 
<laughs> I-T-Y-A tail. And for those of you at gmail.com, for those of you that have not picked up on it, it stands for I'll tell you a tale. Um, very clever. Uh, but feel free to follow us on Twitter. Feel free to shoot us an email. Um, we'll definitely read those, take those into consideration. If you guys have any names, please, please, please send us recommendation for names. Um, and we can... And if you are an expert at coming up with names for characters and stories, do not hesitate to contact us and share your wealth of knowledge that we are lacking. Yeah, I cannot stress this enough. Um, If those are the only tweets or emails that we receive, I think it'll be a success because, oh, oh boy, am I so bad at it. Oh, boy, is it such a stressful um, experience. Um, Don't have a kid. Probably won't have a kid for a very long time, but... Oh boy, am I not looking forward to that, um, just that whole process. And, uh, I, I guess if we're wrapping up, we've, we've pitched the, uh, or plugged the, the Twitter, plugged the email, um, we can end, um, with some recommendations for some narratives, and, uh, I guess we'll each just throw out, uh, if you guys are looking for good stories, um, we are both fan of stories, whether that be books, audiobooks, podcasts, anything along those lines. Um, we'll try and end each episode with some recommendations for some good storytelling formats. And I'll go ahead and start. If you guys have not listened to Critical Role, there's so much, so much, so much content available. Um, just for some context, they are a group of voice actors that play Dungeons and Dragons and their DM Matthew Mercer is the voice of McCree from Overwatch. Um, He's also the voice of so many so many other characters and uh, if you play video games that have voice acting you've probably played a video game where one of these um, voice actors has voiced it and they just get together and he lays out a story and they just all improv and it's so amazing. Check it out if you have just this gaping hole in your life where you need story to be told. Um, and you like that. And maybe you don't know anything about D&D, and that's fine. Um, but it is it is a interesting tool to check out some cool stories and uh, maybe a different format than um, what a lot of people are used to, whether that be books or um, movies. You can listen to it on... Uh, I believe it's all on the podcast. Just search Critical Role um, on podcast. You can also check them out on YouTube. Um, they also stream through Geek and Sundry on Twitch. And uh, Alex, if you want to um, recommend anything, feel free. Um, I feel like I should recommend the King Killer Chronicles by Patrick Rothfuss solely because what a story. Numerous times have I read it. I've listened to it numerous times. And just the telling of the story and then the fact that throughout the whole story, he is telling a story within a story. And it's just amazing to me. It is. It is. I, I too, have 
I've read through both of the books twice, and I've listened to them both on uh, Audible. Shout out to Audible. If you, hey, if you get if we would get an Audible sponsorship, that'd be really cool. Um, but uh, yeah, very very good story. And I'm just saying this right now. It is a trilogy, and he only has two books out. And if you guys truly appreciate good stories, don't be one of those. Don't be a person that's just like very super mad and wanting wanting the story to be out. I feel like being able to wait, having that patience to wait for that third book, wait for that that satisfying ending is you can't rush those sorts of things and then we just started a podcast where we're going to try and rush out a lot of short stories so maybe we are uh, doomed to fail but um such such a good story and i also just i just throw this out real quick um i would because I was, I mentioned earlier in the podcast that I listened to him on a panel at some sort of comic con or something, and he was um, talking, uh, doing like a Q and A, and one of the people asked a question about what are some quotes that I should get like tattooed or something like that, or I think it was like I'm having a wedding, and uh, we want to mention some quotes at the thing, and what do you think about this quote? And uh, it's some really powerful thing that that sounded really eloquently that the main character said. Um, just to stick with that, like, continuity iceberg thing, it was, uh, um, something along the lines of, um, anyone can love something because it's, it takes something special to love someone despite, uh, and, uh, they, they brought up that quote and Patrick was, uh, or Rothfuss, Patrick Rothfuss, I don't know, Mr. Rothfuss said something along the lines of, oh no, why, why do you think... <laughs> how what have i done to let you um to give you the idea that this main character Kvothe knows anything about love and <laughs> why why would you ever take his advice don't say that at your wedding it is it is so important to love someone because but i thought it was just funny like the the whole continuity thing and he he didn't just throw that quote in there to because it was like oh like this will appeal to all the people that really love or something it's totally the the romantic person that that main character is and i'm i'm rambling because it is just such a good story so go check those out um critical role patrick rothfuss uh is king killer chronicles he has a few short stories out as well um but um he also he has a blog check that out um he has charity world builders shout out to um both of those people they're they're really cool And I guess uh, if uh, if you haven't listened to the if you haven't listened to the story if it wasn't at the beginning, um, sit back and prepare to enjoy, hopefully, um, this tale of Asari Fosa and his adventures on the Damned Tide. Uh, thanks for joining. I'm Nathan, and uh, we'll see you uh, next time. And I am Alex, and we will see you next time. At least two episodes. We're going to try it and get at least two. Get the ball rolling. But thanks for joining. The Tempest. Asarai wanders through the market. His tall form cuts a striking figure, and most of the people walking around him find themselves stepping to the side to let him pass. His eyes scan the crowd as he moves. 
moving from the faces of passing people to their belts. He notices a commotion at the other end of the market. A small girl wearing dirty rags is being pulled by her hair as she attempts to disappear into the crowd, holding a freshly baked loaf of bread. He steps quickly forward, pulling a small pouch of coins from inside his vest. He fishes out a single coin and grabs the arm of the market vendor. I'm sorry, she's mine. I sent her off to fetch me bread and must have forgotten to give her coin to buy it with. He stares into the face of the man, bright blue eyes not breaking away. You know how children can be, so scared of consequences. He gestures with his hand, and the silver coin he fished out earlier appears between his fingers, glinting slightly as it reflects the sunlight. The merchant's eyebrows unfurrow as he sees the coin, and he moves to take it from Asarai. As the merchant starts to move, Asarai releases his arm and is knocked a step forward as the little girl breaks away and disappears into the crowd. The merchant lets out a chuckle and pockets the coin. Word of advice? Mind your own damn business before you end up poor just like that little rat. Asarai turns and walks away, a small smile spreading across his lips. He makes his way back through the market towards a small building with the picture of a smashed crate burned into a sign hanging above its doorway. He steps inside and slips a small folded piece of paper to the slim man sitting on the stool behind a small counter. The paper disappears without a word, and with a small nod, Asarai turns and steps back into the crowded market streets. He moves through the crowd with confidence, one hand resting on the hilt of the curved sword hanging at his side. Before long, the crowd thins, and he finds himself standing at the edge of town. He takes a deep breath and sets his shoulders, rigidly placing one foot in front of the other as he leaves town. The sun is just setting when he arrives at the top of the cliffs that hide a small bay from the rest of the world. He passes by the bushes that hide the small path down to the ocean front, and smiles the second a large wooden vessel comes into view. He can't help but find her beautiful. Fast and sleek, the damned tide cuts an impressive figure. The crew sits lazily on the deck, a few drinking and bickering as cards are revealed face up on top of a barrel and coins are shifted from one person to the other. None of them look up as Asarai makes his way onto the deck of the ship. Everyone quiets for a moment as he passes them on his way to the stairs that lead below deck. He knocks on the first door he comes to, and a voice calls out to enter. He steps inside, taking in the somewhat barren cabin. Anne had never been one for decorations. She is sitting there, at a small desk in the corner of the cabin, lazily turning the pages of a ledger book, a fanciful silver wine glass held in her hand. I've dropped the supplies off, Captain. No one in town knows we're here, and we should be ready to leave in the next two days. Good. My bones ache every day we aren't out at sea. I'm going to tear the heads off those scum outside if they knock on my door one more time. You'd think pirates wouldn't whine like children. As the crew falls into their familiar roles of trimming the sails and maintaining their captain's beloved vessel a week into their journey, Asurai thinks to himself how this group of rather unsavory individuals managed to work together seemingly flawlessly. They were meant to sail a ship, 
in the same way that he was meant to stand at the side of the ship, gazing out across the open ocean. Taking in the salty breeze and feeling the sun on his tanned face, Satisfied that they are alone on the ocean, he turns and steps towards the captain's quarters, and is shocked to find the captain pale and in her bed. Rushing to her bed, the tempest of the seas looks frail and almost unfamiliar to him. The woman who is strong and intimidating enough to gather this group of terrifying and at times bloodthirsty crew of pirates under one banner now laid before him barely able to keep her wits about her. She looks up at him with an unfamiliar look in her eyes. Fear. She reaches up to take his hand in hers. Rough and calloused, her hand struggles to squeeze his own as she croaks out something under her breath. Aserai leans towards her, ducking his head to catch her words. The tempest must live on. He shakes his head and squeezes her hand. You will. I swear it. Days pass, and the waves grow larger as the sky darkens, and the damned tide finds herself caught in a terrible storm. Her crew, with Aserai at the helm, is forced to give it everything they have to keep the vessel afloat. They struggle for days, bailing water and fighting against the winds that threaten to capsize the ship. The crew sleeps in shifts, falling into restless sleep as soon as they make their way below deck all but Aserai. He never leaves the deck of the ship. He moves along the boards of the deck with ease, catching the ropes that fly loose and crewmen that lose their feet. He stands at the wheel of the ship, bellowing orders in a deep voice that cuts between the wind and waves. Aserai begins praying to any god that will listen, starting low under his voice as he works with the ropes, pulling them down and tying them quickly. This lasts for a while, but before long, he is shouting at the top of his lungs, cursing the sea and her waves. He bellows madly from the helm of the ship, battling against the storm with the creative curses of a sleep-deprived sailor. On the third day, all seems lost. The crew moves sluggishly through their work, and Aserai drags a few crewmen, trying to skip their shifts from their bunks and hammocks. His eyes are bloodshot and his face a mess of rain and anger as the storm breaks and the ever-present sound of the wind fades. The pouring rain relents, and a few rays of sunlight peek through clouds that seem much lighter than they were only hours before. Most of the crew falls where they stand, exhausted, but not Aserai. He has one thought in his mind, and he rushes to the captain's quarters and slams the door open to find her cold and unmoving in her bed. He falls to his knees, tears filling his eyes and sobs racking his body as he holds her calloused hands, seeing the strength they once held. The captain's last request echoes in his mind, and he steals himself. The sun has shifted when he returns to the deck of the ship, and as he pushes the door open, he sees the whole crew standing on the deck, waiting in silence. None of them had seen their captain at all through the entire storm. A few faces held fury. Others were too tired to care at all. All were silent, waiting for him to speak. In that moment of total silence, there was not a single bird song in the sky, not a single whisper among the men, only the lapping waves against the sides of the ship. 
When he spoke, his voice cut through the silence. Ragged and worn, weary, he stood to his full height. I am the Tempest. I am your captain. These past few days I have fought against the forces of nature and now claim my title as captain of the damned tide. A few mutters spread through the gathered crew. Asarai stares them down, eyes bloodshot. Get to work. I'll not have my ship left in shambles. There's work to be done. As he says this, he hopes that the crew does not see the tears still running down his face. Or perhaps they dismiss them as raindrops. But the rain had stopped hours earlier. <laughs>